finish up our study in Colossians tonight. And, you know, when you open the letters of Paul, and, you know, it was a, it would have been a scroll that they wrote on, and it was the way that they did their letters. So if you can imagine just getting a letter in the mail from one of your friends. You know, it doesn't have the chapters and verses. <laughs> you know, we sort of, that was put in the 12th century and make it easy for us to use concordances and things. And I praise the Lord for that. But it's kind of nice to just read, read the whole letter right straight through sometimes. So I want to do a little bit of a review, uh, uh, not in depth at all, but just uh, as a reminder, Paul, this is one of his prison epistles, and he... Um, is surrounded by some of the fellows that he'll mention at the end of the book here. They've come and, come and gone, and they've visited him. They brought support from some of these other churches in Macedonia and uh, Asia and all, and uh, just remembering him and supporting him. He was there for a couple years, and so uh, there was a lot of time uh, to reflect on things. And so Epaphras, as we've learned in Chapter 1, was the fellow who actually... Uh, planted the church there at Colossae. He came out of, is believed, out of the church of Ephesus, which would have been geographically to the north of Colossians. And so maybe he was from there or whatever, but there was a great work going on in Ephesus, and from that work, other works began, much like we're used to in the Calvary Chapel movement. So Epaphras was the instrument God used to plant the church there, and so he's there visiting Paul, talking to him, just so excited about what God is doing in the lives of these people. And so Paul, he's got a lot of time on his hands, so to speak, right? And as he does, and these are very, a lot of the things that Paul mentions here are mentioned other places in the scriptures because it was the same message of grace and same message of mercy uh, and the goodness, the, the resurrection power of Christ. All the things that we see in this epistle are present in other epistles because these are the things that the saints need to hear. The saints and the Christians, even today, need need to be taught and instructed on how to live. So that was Paul's uh, thrust. Now, certain of the epistles had, had a more of a concentrated uh, bullet thought, and in this case, it, it was the preeminence of Christ. Keep Jesus first. I've never seen you people. You've not seen me in the flesh, but all I've had heard about you, I already love you. I care about you. Epaphras is such a great brother, and I just want to encourage you in your walk. Keep Jesus first. That's sort of what happened in our first chapter there. You've been reconciled to him. God's got plans and purposes that are so far beyond your wildest dream. Stay tight with Christ. Walk in the joy. Walk in everything that he's provided. And even though you're going to be you're being persecuted, you're suffering, your sacrificial service for Christ is worth it all. You know, and he says in Romans, there's not, you know, I, I, uh, the present sufferings of this world, this time, are not worthy to be compared to, to the glory that's going to be revealed. That has got to be the perspective of every believer. Nothing that we could ever go through. Now, some we got people in our church that are going through the mill right now, and they're suffering physically, circumstantially, lots of things going on. And it's painful. Life is painful. It is hard. There's, and let's not, you know, mince words here. It's, it, you know, it's not always a cakewalk. But, but, Compared to the glory that's going to be revealed, it, it is nothing. And that's the hope that we have. And Paul's encouraging these uh, people. I mean, think about what he went through. And he, yet he kept his inner 
focus on the Lord. He didn't get caught up in the philosophy of the day. For us, we have to be careful with that. Humanism is rampant. We can see where that's getting a number of people firmly planted in midair, as Francis Schaeffer used to say. You know, a modern man is firmly planted in midair in his convictions. You know, they don't know where they're at. They don't have a basis at all. And so they're confused. And this is why people are easily deceived. I mean, think about what the Bible says about the elect. If it were possible, even the elect would, could be deceived. I mean, we, we really do have to keep Christ first so we don't get hoodwinked. We don't get ripped off. You know, not we have the deception from without, but we also have a deception within. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? There's a possibility within myself, and I don't like to admit this, but that's the truth. I can deceive myself, lie to myself, not tell myself the truth. And so this is this is part of uh, why we have to stay in Christ and, and, and the world's wisdom, the philosophy of the world is not going to help us. That's how he starts out chapter 2. And it isn't, you know, legalism. You know, if I just could obey the law, then I would get closer to Jesus. There's a movement afoot that's been going on for a couple decades now that I've been paying attention to, and, it, and this has to do with Reformed theology. It is an intellectually appealing doctrine because people uh, struggle with the simplicity of walking with Christ. When Jesus is not quite enough, when, when I'm frustrated because I'm trying to keep the rules, but it's really, I don't really sense God's closeness because that's not the avenue by which we get close to God legalism. It doesn't work. You don't grow in grace trying to follow the law. You only grow in grace when you're broken and contrite. Let me explain brokenness for a minute. It doesn't mean that your life is full of tragedy. Think in, think in terms of a horse. Now, I grew up on a farm, and I uh, had the joy of riding horses when I was a little guy. And uh, once on a, a couple of the horses that we had were newly broken. They were, they were feisty. And I remember getting bucked off a couple times. And I remember actually the horse falling and slipping and smashing my leg a few times. I mean, you know, just <laughs> horses are horses. But what we, we had the older horses, and they were broken well. And what, we, what you understood when someone said brokenness in context of a horse was whatever you asked them to do, they did it. There wasn't any hesitancy. It was just a tug on the rein to the left or to the right, and immediately they would respond. That's what we're talking about when we say brokenness as a Christian. I, as I hear my inner man speaking to me as I know the truth of God, as I arrest the thoughts that come into my mind, I am going to do the right thing. I'm not resistant to God. I'm not resistant to the truth. I'm just, it, it's what guides me. Rather than becoming stiff-necked and self-willed, that would be the opposite of brokenness. And so these are the things that, speak, getting back on track with this movement of, of Reformed theology, is that there, there seems to be this, this intellectualism. This is the way. Oh, th so this is what I've been missing in my walk as a Christian and going to church all these years. I, I need to, to have this higher understanding and this order of the way you know, God has planned salvation for man. And I, I swallow the tulip, hook, line, and sinker. And then I begin to see the Bible only through that lens. And that's the tragedy, you know, of that 
doctrine. It is the doctrine of men. It is trying to intellectualize what God has put here, and it's through doctrine. If I really know doctrine really well, then I'm going to be close to God. Well, that's kind of what the Pharisees thought, too. So it's, it's not about head knowledge. It's about a deep, abiding, personal relationship with Christ. Never get beyond the simplicity of just walking with Christ, knowing the Lord. And that's just what Paul's driving home to these people. These are big temptations. These are real temptations. I think we all kind of go through these waters, you know, if you're familiar with Pilgrim's Progress. We're, we're making progress as we're crawling towards the Lamb on our knees, right? We, 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 we ebb and flow through these things, and we kind of have to cross these wa- certain waters. And, and all the way through, we come through all the trials, we come to realize it's all about just walking with the Lord, keeping it simple and loving Christ. And, and then he gets, you know, into chapter 3 here, as we've covered. Uh, you know, you've got this great position in Christ. The battle has been won. The victory is ours. We didn't have to pay for our sins on the cross. Jesus did that for us. We didn't have to beg and grope for God to give us his spirit. He freely has given us all things in Christ. As Paul said to the Romans, if it's the death of Christ that brought reconciled us to God, how much more now will his life bring us to the heart of God? And this is what it means. You just to put off the flesh, live in the resurrected power of our Savior. We've been raised with Christ and in that position of big picture here. When Adam and Eve chose Satan, They rebelled against God. All of humanity from that point forward now is under the covenant of death, under the dominion of Satan. As the Bible says, the world lies in the sway of the wicked one. When you come to Christ, you leave that darkness and death and you are raised into a newness of life, translated from darkness into the light. That's why baptism is so important. It's a spiritual statement of war because we're in war. And now you have a stamp on your head, visibly, physically, so to speak, spiritually especially, that with the unseen realm, I am no longer on your dominion, Satan. I am now under the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you take that stand when we make baptism as a public thing? And we live in that resurrected power because we know through defeat, through self-effort, through legalism, through intellectualism, through philosophy, whatever else, that doesn't work. It's only living and abiding in Christ that we make any progress to coming in to, to know the Lord and to know his ways. So we put on, as it were, the new man. We sink into this clothing that's been provided to us in the person of Christ. And then Paul, as he is, you know, I've been thinking about this scripture a little bit, so I'm going to slip it in here. Ezekiel, when he had a vision of the Lord, and the Lord hands him the scroll, and he said, son of man, eat the scroll. This is a spiritual thing going on here, right? Eat the scroll. So he begins to eat the scroll. That'd be like consuming the word of God. And in your mouth it is sweet as honey. But then as it hit his belly, it was bitter. And see, these are the things, uh, 
are the way spiritual things are to us. We love the teaching of God's word. I love to teach God's word. I'd rather teach it than live it, right? Because <laughs> that's the hard part. <laughs> it's sweet. Oh, the truth, the principles, and doctrine, it's all good. It's wonderful. But then the living it out, that's the bitterness within the stomach and the inner man just, oh, because it's contrary to our fallen nature. And that's the rub right there. And we're to put that off, put it to death. That's what he tells these Colossian Christians that he's never met. Put to death that old man. Live in the new man. Put on the new man and all the various characteristics. And as it were, uh, with Paul, he loves the application aspect of things. Uh, The best place to start revival because what is revival and that's sort of how I want to move into that aspect and that perspective as we finish this book because this is what it's all about revival in itself precludes that there's death that there's not life because we're talking about revival bringing back to life something that has that is no longer as lively as it once was and so for the Christian, what does that mean? That means I have to call sin, sin. The blood of Christ doesn't cover excuses. It covers sin. So I have to realize that these things that he lists there, chapter 3, uh, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, that is who I am. My base nature, because that's what Jesus said. Out of the heart of man flow these things. Now, if I... Am I going to disagree with Jesus or am I going to agree with Jesus? Well, obviously, I'm going to agree with him. If I'm going to make progress in my walk with God, then I've got to call it and see it like he calls it and like he sees it. And this would be this is this is very well illustrated uh, by the the publican who went to the temple and wouldn't even look lift his face to heaven. God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. He admitted. He agreed with God on his condition. Now, the Pharisee, on the other hand, was judging him, looking at him, well, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like others. See, I really, I don't have an evil heart because I, I don't do this and I don't do that like that guy does. And so he's lying to God, actually. And that's what we do. That's what I'm talking about when a deceptive heart. It's painful. And I'm not underestimating that when when I make that statement. What I am talking about is extremely spiritually painful. But I have been through it, and I will continue to go through it, and I'm not afraid of it. And I'm not afraid of that pain because I know that that's the reality. And it's when I am real with God about who I am, about all those things that are inside fallen man with Christ that I can be free from them. It is not until I come to that brokenness and willing to see it that way, that that's who I am. And it's not the other guy's issue here. You know, you point your finger at someone, you got three pointing back, right? It's this man that has to be dealt with. God will deal with everybody else, but this is the guy I have to deal with. And I have found that when I get real and I live my life that way, now that sounds like, gosh, you must be in constant misery. <laughs> get a grip, you know. <laughs> it's the opposite. 
It is that is when, what does the Bible say? The Lord is near the, 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 those that are broken and contrite. And, the, and, and who is with me, you know, in that high place is the one who, who acknowledges things and sees things the way God sees them. Then he lifts us up to where he's at in that joyful walk. And as it is with Paul, he brings this truth, these doctrinal applications that he's been sharing with the Colossians to bear where relationships are most intimate and most tried, and that is the Christian home. And he starts right right up front with mom and dad, husband and wife. And this is where it's tried. If you want to know if you're living in revival, how are you rela- how am I relating to my wife? How is how am, is she relating to me? What's going on in that relationship? If I'm mean to her, then the what else happens from there is really not as very relevant. I have to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And that gap should be getting, uh, falling short of, that that gap of falling short should be shrinking as I walk with God. And when I do fall short, then I just, because we do err, we do make mistakes, we lose our tempers, we're harsh, we're not as kind and thoughtful as we ought to be sometimes. It's just a confession and an acknowledgement to get right back on track. And that's like that in every area of our life. That is how it works. None of us are perfect, but we simply own it, confess it, agree with God, apologize, confess to the other person, and move forward. And then in the relationship at home, obviously, with how do we are training and teaching and relating to our children. Fathers, that's a big job. And then in, once, as if that's not struggle enough, what about your boss, you know? <laughs> so you can see Paul, man, he sort of, he gets right to the core <laughs> of where we live, the workplace, the bond servants, obeying, not with eye service. And he goes through that. So we've kind of gone through those things uh, together here. But then he brings it from these re- re- this great responsibility of relationship to uh, these final things that he feel are, is important. These are the things that are really important as he's closing out just the, sort of the capstone. And as Paul's manner is, it's, it's prayer. Continue in. Adhere to. Be strict in. And I thank God for the grace and the sense that he's put upon our church to be men and women of prayer. We will never grow out of this. We should actually be growing into it, right? But that's what he says here. Continue, verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in change that I may make it manifest as I ought to. Great things to pray for. So you're committed to being strong. That's really what it, the, the root word here is implying. Uh, continue earnestly or be strong in this continuing discipline within the life of the believer. And then watch, vigilant, give strict attention to. In the context of the gospel. One of our prayers is, should be getting the word of God out. It is That is what brings life. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
Pray that the word of God would spread rapidly and be glorified. This is what we pray for our church. This is re- Actually, this is on my little prayer list. I pray this regularly, that the word of God would spread rapidly and be glorified. Because if the word of God goes out, people's lives are going to be touched. The more people's lives are touched, the more possibility that they're going to be saved. And if they are saved, they're going to grow and mature and experience life in God. That's what is important. That's what it's all about right there. And then, as is Paul's way, uh, he, um, be thankful. Verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those without, redeeming time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. You know, I think um, the thanksgiving there is at the end of verse 2. He always seems to slide thanksgiving in there. Again, that's what do we have but what we've been given. How can we act as though what we've had we didn't receive? (laughs) It's all, everything that we have, any goodness that's in my life is because of the presence and the goodness of God. It's just that simple. And I I should give thanks to God. It's just a natural outflow of our relationship with God. And then again, of answered prayer. Think of all the prayers that God has answered for you. Isn't that wonderful? Just thank you, Lord. Thank you for caring. Thank you for being so intimate and personal with me. Thank you for your guidance, your provision, your protection. I, I have to thank you for that in quite a bit in my own life. But again, to walk in wisdom, you know, this is so important that we behave. We be careful how we come across to uh, other people People now, if I mess up, you know you guys are pretty forgiving. But if I do something, some knucklehead thing, outside in public, you know, they're not, people aren't going to be as forgiving and as gracious. So we have to be careful how we conduct ourselves. That's what is he's talking about. And then uh, for gracious speech, anybody got a problem with their tongue? <laughs> Can get us into hot water real quick, right? You know, seasoned with salt. You ever think about how good salt is? That Jesus said salt is good. And um, he said, I read this thing in a health book when I was a young kid. Uh, stay away from things that are white. You know, white flour, white sugar. They're refined. They're, they're they've had they've had the nutrients taken from them. So I sort of put salt in that category. But that really is not something you should uh, put in that category because salt is good. Jesus said salt is good. Stabilizes your heartbeat, regulates your blood pressure with water, as long as you have plenty of water in your system. Helps extract the excess acidity from your body cells, particularly your brain cells. <laughs> Balances your sugar levels in your blood generates a hydroelectric energy in your blood cells. It increases conductivity in your nerve cells and communication for information processing. So maybe you're having a rough time in school, just try some salt. I'll help you in your... Right before you take your exam, a little, little dash of salt. <laughs> just joking. <laughs> helps regulate your sleep. It 
eliminates persistent dry cough. I probably ought to try a little of that myself. Anyway, there's just a number of things that salt is good. So I uh, just thought I'd throw that out there uh, for all you people that are in need of salt. <laughs> but he's talking about your speech, right? You know, salt is preserving. Sometimes if you put it on a sore, it'll bite. Ow, that stings. But it's really actually good. You know, you go to the ocean, you're in the salt water, and you have sores or, you know, like I've got lots of nicks. And that salt water is very soothing and helping uh, for the healing. So that's the idea, that you your speech isn't necessarily harsh and you're not intending to hurt anybody. You're speaking truth. You're speaking things that are going to help assimilate growth in the other person. So well thought uh, phrase for Paul there. And then the final thoughts and our final thoughts too, just kind of working through this list. Paul, as you notice, when he first started his ministry, it was about a lot about the mission. And he never got off the mission. You know, let the gospel, you know, it's here. You know, that we can speak the mystery of Christ and get the gospel out. He never got away from that. But one of the things you'll, you can't miss if you're paying attention is Paul's emphasis on the relationship with people. And I, I've grown in, in this myself. And I think it's just the way, that, you know, sometimes we're more task-oriented when we're younger. But as we gain an understanding of God's character and nature, we realize that God is very relationship-oriented. And his servants should develop this to, have, to be better at relationships and to have good relationships. And Paul mellowed in that area uh, as he got older. Look at this list. Now, the, again, these are the guys that, would, that had come from various parts of where he had planted the churches and where he was renowned throughout the Roman Empire. And they came to visit him. Uh, Tychicus, a brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant there in verse 7. Uh, the Lord tell you all the news about, uh, well, he will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. So he would have been the one that would take this letter, uh, apparently, maybe with Epaphras if they went together, and return and uh, read this to the church there at Colossae. Uh, the he, verse 8, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a, a faithful brother who is one of you who will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice. These are my only my fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, so they were Jewish brothers. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you. And for those in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, Nymphus, and the church that is in his house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. You likewise read the epistle from Laodicea and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, 
Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. So, again, just going through these, we've Onesimus was the uh, runaway slave from Philemon's uh, there in Macedonia. And Philemon was part of the home fellowship of Archippus. So you see these relationships that were developed. And I think as we grow and as we live our lives together and as we meet other people and they join, you know, we're going to have these growing relationships uh, that we should maintain in the Lord. I, I thank the Lord. I've lived in California and Indiana, you know, around. And I've, um, I've got so many friends. You know, you just sort of pick up where you leave off, you know, uh, in, our, in your relationship. You, I see them at the conferences, um, when we visit and go back home, that kind of thing. These are wonderful things. And think about uh, what it will be like when we get to heaven and all those relationships that we've had and the new people we're going to meet there. Very important to maintain our relationships. But these are times of reflection for Paul. He's thinking back through and these guys that uh, have been a blessing to him. Marcus, now this is the guy, this is B. Uh, Barnabas' uh, I guess a cousin, as he said here. He's related to him. And he's the one that went on the first, mission, uh, first missionary trip for a short period of time. And then whatever for whatever reason, he was sort of freaked out and left and offended Paul. So when they started the second to go, one, to start the second missionary trip, Paul says, sorry, Charlie, I'm not taking you with me. You bailed out last time. We can't have that. Barnabas says, God, that's really harsh, Paul. Don't you have to do that? What, what, what are you being this way for, you know? So they got into a little argument. And they said, oh, fine. I'll just take Silas and you take, take him and go. Okay. So that's what they did. Well, that all got smoothed out over time. That's what God, the love of God does. And so you can see here, Mark is now uh, there with Paul. And you'll see that in another epistle as well. But, you know, God, you know, there's times that we don't always agree. But God, over time, softens our hearts, letting things go, really seeing things for what they are. We just learn to let it go and just trust God for everybody else's growth. You know, say within your heart, like I've learned to say, God knows how to bring many sons and daughters to glory. I don't. So God's got some work to do there. God's got some work to do in me and, and just leave it there. And that takes maturity to do that, but that's where we're all headed. Justice, uh, again, these are important friends to Paul. Um, and then, again, he, he, the guy who planted the church, Epaphras, still carrying that burden, that shepherd's heart for the people. And then remember who Luke was. Luke was with Paul. Now, he's the one that wrote, uh, acts and all the things that were going on and you don't really notice you really think about but Luke was with him through through thick and thin he's there I think he was in the you know the shipwreck and the whole thing you know he's there in prison I mean he was his personal physician and then and, and then this might be for someone tonight you know we all have a ministry we all have a service as priests of the within the kingdom of God, we have a ministry to fulfill. If you don't do your service, nobody else is going to do it. you got to understand that. If I don't do what I'm called to, people are going to suffer. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, people are going to suffer. Take heed. Pay attention to what God has called you to do and fulfill it. And you'll be the better for it and so will those that you've called to serve as well. And so... 
as we pray tonight, we've been given uh, a directive here by Paul. Um, pray for that God would continue to open a door for the Word of God. You know, is this next step that our church is supposed to take with the building? Will that be something that God can use to further the Word and that God will raise up pastors and teachers from the work that He's doing here? We hope so. But regardless, let's just keep that uh, before the Lord. Um, Who are we as we've been praying for God to do great and mighty things, we've been praying for miracles, right? Who are we to say what a miracle is supposed to look like? I'm not going to define it. Afterwards, we can, right? (laughs) We can testify. And so let's just keep praying into those ends. And uh, remember the persecuted church. That's what Paul says, remember my chains. Cheryl, our sister Cheryl's on her way back from Michigan. She's had a rough go with her daughter and tremendous health issues going on there. But she's home and stabilized. Um, She's got a long trip back here, so pray for our sister Cheryl. Anything else we need to pray in regards to that? Um, We'll go back to the back here as we normally do. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've given to us. We're so rich, Lord. We've been given so much, more than we would, could ever deserve. And so now, Lord, as we take this time to pray for one another, pray for the church, our families, just guide us, lay it on our hearts, the things that we're to pray for. In Jesus' name, amen.